Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Favelle, and today is November 9th, 2021, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. It's Holy Wazdy Day in November, not December. So it's not as exciting, but we do have stuff to say, and you want to hear it. I'm joined today by Kevin Combs, Vice President of McKinney Favelle. Hello, Kevin. Hello, everybody. Hello, Mike. Sugar Guru. Joined by Nicole Thomas. Vice President, Information Sales and Services. Hello, Nicole. How are you? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. Great. Good. Congratulations on the game last night. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, beat the Steelers. No, the Steelers lost. No, the come Steelers. on, Mike. <laughs> the Steelers beat the, the Bears. The Steelers beat the Bears. I understand you. it was barely, right. but oh, goodness. I like that. Wow. I like that. A win's a win. Boom, boom. Oh, who is win that? Is a win. Who is that masked man who just spoke? It's Eric Thornton. Is that Eric? Commodity specialist oh here gosh. at McKinney Flavelle. Hello, Eric. Hello, Mike. Well, welcome, everybody. We have a lot to talk about today. And rather than uh, Nicole talking about how great the Steelers are and how fast Ben Roethlisberger isn't, <laughs> uh, and how close that field goal wasn't uh, uh, at the end. Scary. That was scary stuff. Congratulations. Was, You're on a roll. You. Four in yes. a row. Four in a row. We'll get there. Is the USDA four in a row on WASD reporting today? Oh. Well, let's start with you, Nicole. I see corn futures are up a little bit. Uh, I'm sure there's some stuff that made it go up. So yes. why don't you talk a little bit about it and what were the expectations were and what they actually did? Well, uh, probably, you know, some some of the drive behind them going higher is just how lower everything's been going for the last few sessions. So we were due for a rebound there. But as far as the, the report was concerned, um, reasonably quiet. We did see some changes to ending stocks, both globally and domestically. And usually I begin with the domestic picture, but I'm going to start with the global picture because I think it kind of sets up the stage for why there is still some inherent bullishness in the market. So we did see a pretty sharp increase to global carry in from 2021 into 2122 and with a slightly higher production uh took ending stocks up uh almost 2.7 million tons now pegging those at th- just under 304 and a half million metric tons so if that does come to fruition though great in the sense that that would amount to about a 12 and a half million ton increase of ending stocks year over year, or about 4.3%. So that would be good. But the thing worth noting is just as supplies are looking better, consumption is anticipated to grow as well. Hmm. So we have global stocks to use now projected at 21.8% for 2122, which is actually lower than the 22.3% of 2021. So again, big uh, jump here in consumption, global demand projected at, you know, almost 1.4 billion metric tons. And that's up, you know, from about uh, 1.31 billion metric tons in 2020, 2021. 
some noteworthy changes there, increase to uh, production for Argentina. That's up about one and a half million tons to 54 and a half million. Uh, the U.S. was was a big jump of about six and a half or a little under six and a half million tons. And the European Union uh, production raised there as well, one and a half million tons. But on the side of consumption, we did see a, a nice little increase uh, in the U.S. and the EU. And overall, global demand was raised by about 7 million tons uh, in today's report versus that of October. Now, going back to the U.S. balance sheet, we saw uh, actually a slight reduction in ending stocks, which was kind of interesting in that, number one, we did see an increase to the average yield. They raised that by a half a bushel to 177 bushels per acre, which I say is pretty good considering the weather conditions we had for a good swath of the Corn Belt uh, this growing season. Uh, But that gave us about another 43 million bushels in total supply. But that increase to supply was not enough to increase or to offset the increase to demand. Uh, And there was only one revision, a 50 million bushel increase to the ethanol category. Not surprising there, considering profit margins uh, have been improving for ethanol producers. We've got rising energy prices and we have lower cash corn prices than at least earlier this year. And accordingly, seeing a a ramp up in ethanol production uh, that gets us back to pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, folks are still kind of wondering what's going to happen with the biofuel program. I would say the hopes for changes there that would be uh, positive for ending stocks or anything that would pressure consumption in that category are are dimming. You've got a a administration that's definitely in favor of supporting domestic biofuel production. And we've got strong energy prices, which I think is is probably the more important factor in all that. uh, That would suggest we're we're probably, if anything, going to see that category strengthen Uh, as time goes on, as opposed to decline. So all in all, U.S. ending stocks, uh, just a a shy bit under 1.5 billion bushels. uh, And we've still got stocks used to 10.1%, which by, you know, traditional standards is going to uh, indicate a pretty bullish market. Now, uh, let's talk about the soy complex. Now, (laughs) conversely, we saw, you know, uh, in the the last few reports, uh, inching up of the yield for soybeans, uh, but that was uh, reversed this report with USDA taking that down to 51.2 bushels per acre. But that lower production was actually offset by lower export demand. They've got that pegged at about uh, 2.05 billion bushels, which would be down 215 million bushels from 2021. Uh, and when we look at you know total soybean commitments, uh, they currently stand at about 32.3 million tons, uh, and that's down from 48 uh, or more than 48 million a year ago. So we're at about 67% of that total. So basically means we're going to need to see more sales if we even want to catch up to, you know, this downward revision for exports. Now, globally, soybean production uh, was lowered by a million tons to uh, 384 million. Ending stocks fell about 790,000 tons to a little under 104 million tons. Nevertheless, If we uh, see these numbers actualized, that would mean a rebound this year of almost 4 million tons to ending stocks. Uh, But uh, just as was the case with corn, the common theme of stronger demand in 21-22 is uh, leading us to not see improvement in the stocks to use. 
We're seeing that at about 18.9% for 21-22, which uh, is actually just you know slightly lower than the year prior. Also noteworthy in today's report, Argentinian production reduced by one and a half million tons. Looks like uh, soybeans may have lost out on some acreage to corn this year. And meanwhile, Chinese import demand was reduced by a million tons to 100 million is the projection at this point, which isn't surprising considering uh, what have been you know, poor margins in their domestic hog sector and a reduced uh, crush due to some of those power limitations for manufacturing plants, which also impacted soybean crush there. Now for oils, that creates an interesting dynamic. Before we get there, the good news is U.S. soybean oil ending stocks were raised by more than 100 million pounds to uh, a little over 1.9 billion. The entirety of that improvement was a result of greater carry-in, which was raised by 100 million pounds to 2.177 billion. Need I say, I'm sure it's all a a bit frustrating for oil users (laughs) who have experienced strong oil prices, uh, particularly through the second half of 2021. Uh, And for perspective, if we looked at the April WASD, that 2021 soybean oil ending stocks estimate was 1.7 billion bushels, about, or excuse me, pounds, uh, about 460 million pounds lower than where things settled out at the end of the marketing year. So, and as a side note, you know, we don't tend to talk about soybean mill dynamics on this podcast, but I do want to highlight that demand is projected to increase by over 750,000 short tons in 21-22. And I highlight that as it appears that soybean mill futures may have been a bit undervalued in these last couple of months or so. Uh, and we're finally starting to see some strengthening in that market. And that's also good for our corn toll users who are trying to forecast whether corn gluten meal values will remain strong. And if this is any indication, then the answer is yes. But back to oil, just to sum it up, globally, soybean oil ending stocks are projected to fall by about 300,000 tons. And stocks to use is also expected to decline from 6.1% last year to 5.5% this year. Now back to what I said about China and the impact of effectively a month or so of less crush, we'll probably see a bump in imports there to offset that lower oil production. And that could be both soy and palm oils. And considering canola oil production is projected to fall by upwards of 25% in 21-22, don't let that seemingly positive upward revision to U.S. ending stocks rock you into sort of apathetic comfort. This is still very much a a tight global market for oil and palm oil pricing could be the leader in terms of price direction this year, uh, or at least for the next few months. So that's what we got in today's report. Great. Thank you, Nicole. Let's uh, shift over to Eric. Eric, what do you have on wheat? Yeah. So really, I'd say this, this time of year, we don't typically see a whole lot of significant fundamental changes for wheat. And that's essentially what we got today uh, for wheat here in the U.S. and globally. And starting on the U.S. side, really the most significant change on the balance sheet came by way of exports being lowered further from 875 million bushels down to 860 million bushels. About as expected, considering uh, our current U.S. prices are uh, much higher than some other some of the other major exporting regions across the globe, and really exports to date have been lagging some 15 to 16 percent behind last year. So this was expected, but certainly at this level, uh, this would be the lowest since going back all the way to 2002, 2003, 
when we exported 854 million bushels. So definitely an exceptionally low year for exports, considering the struggles we've had here with production, as we talked about all summer and fall. Um, to that point, no changes were made to supply in terms of yield for total wheat yield staying at 44.3 bushels per acre and production at 1.64 billion bushels. So no changes there. Some minor tweaks to food and seed demand in opposite directions and net net really uh, ending stocks actually increased modestly by 3 million bushels to now 583 million bushels. So really not a lot changing there in the U.S. Still looking at the tightest ending stock situation since 2007, 2008. And uh, looking a little bit deeper though into the individual wheat classes because of that export reduction, a little bit of shuffling on uh, use and demand. We did see that the uh, hard red spring total wheat usage decreased by nearly 20 million bushels. So the ending stock situation actually improved modestly from 113 to now 127 million bushels. And a lot of that was taken away uh, and given to hard red winter wheat, which increased by uh, about 15 million bushels of demand. So stocks there fell modestly by way of swapping some of the demand outlets while really soft red winter white and durham wheat stayed relatively unchanged to just modestly improved based on that export revision lower so not a lot there in the u.s and globally really mostly in line with expectations maybe slightly more bullish as stocks fell additionally by about 1.5 million metric tons to now 277 total million metric tons there were some uh, increases to exports in, in the global category, which weren't offset enough by an, an increase into imports. And there was also a couple production decreases and a few increases actually, which netted out pretty much unchanged. The EU dropped 1 million metric tons while Russia actually bumped up 2 million metric tons to now 74 and a half total for 21-22. So really kind of offsetting production numbers when compared to October. And, you know, really not a lot of changes to speak of. Again, this is really one of the quieter times for wheat as we head into dormancy in the Northern Hemisphere. And, um, you know, price reaction today, post the report, up modestly, you know, three to seven cents across the three futures contracts. But uh, looking at numbers now, we're up a little bit higher, probably some influence from some stronger soybean prices, uh, as Nicole kind of alluded to there. So, not a whole lot um, to report on. Certainly some changes, but about as expected. Excellent, Eric. Let's uh, shift over to Kevin with sugar. What do you got on sugar, Kevin? Well, kind of went ex as expected, similar to what Nicole was saying on corn. You know, we had anticipation of beet crop becoming uh, even larger as the tail end of the crop was fantastic, particularly in the Red River Valley and in Michigan. And as those yields went, so did the crop. So the USDA increased uh, 2021 beet production by 61,000 tons and then 22 production by 65,000 tons. So a huge, huge revision there. And we're now sitting on a record fiscal year beet crop. And well, I'm sure it's a record beet crop overall if you just looked at the uh, actual crop total as well. But 5.413 million short tons raw value. Huge, Mike. Wow. 
That is big. That is that is big. And and when you have a big crop, you know, what do you expect? Uh-huh. Well, I I know I know what you're going to say, but all the sugar's booked, brother. All the sugar's booked. It's probably not going to happen. But uh, anyway, if you would have expected this back, you know, in April or May, back when you know it was drought conditions, and we thought we were uh, off to a horrible start, and the crop had little chance to uh, survive, and then you know in July the USDA came out with a pretty pessimistic crop estimate for the beet crop, and things kind of took off and off and running, and. Uh, of course, leading the way was raw sugar prices. Well, you know, that was uh, pretty much all it took to get this market off and running. And when you look at the rest of the estimates, you know, the USDA made a wholesale of changes to 2021. This is kind of the month where they start seeing final numbers. They get better numbers from customs. So we saw some revisions lower on imports for 2021. But up in 2022 because they basically shifted some uh, sugar by allowing uh, the 2021 TRQ to come in through December now. Really not a lot of changes to get excited about. On the delivery side, they had been increasing deliveries the last couple months. And this month they kind of reversed course and they lowered them 94,000 tons. So we're back to food use at uh 12.109 million short tons raw value. That was down 91,000 tons this month. A um, little bit of offset. They had some miscellaneous demand up 40,000 tons. Just putting an initial number there of 40,000 tons to make numbers meet. And uh, all told, because of the increases in production and some of those decreases in consumption offset by lower imports, we ended up with stocks up 47,000 tons or, you know, a nice comfortable 14% stocks to use ratio for 2021. For 21-22, again, the beet production up higher offset a little bit. They lowered Louisiana cane production again uh, by 32,000 tons, 12,000 last year. Uh, 20,000 tons of that went into this year. Adding in some... Uh, Imports, we end up with supply up 138,000 tons, and that uh, puts stocks to use up 1.1% or 14.3%. That's pretty darn comfortable. You'd think uh, things would look good, but you know when you look at the overall sugar market, you still see that raw sugar market kind of leading the way, uh, trading just below 37 cents per pound all the way through the uh, fiscal year. And uh, that's, you know, continuing to support things. So it doesn't really matter that we had a nice uh, report, better supplies and, and whatnot. It's it's probably too late to help out. And I think, you know, we're going to have to watch two things going forward and ask to see what happens with the uh, Philippines TRQ. Do they actually ship a portion or all of their uh, quota this year, which the USDA took out last month? And then uh, watch for April when uh, we see if the USDA does anything as far as further reassignments and uh, additional TRQs. Great. Great recap, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, Great recap, Eric. Great recap, Nicole. Thank you guys for all your input. Uh, Hey, everybody, we're going to wrap this one up. But before we do, we're having a risk management uh, webinar next week on the 17th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're interested, go to our website, mckinney-favel.com to register. Hey, I don't have to tell you increased costs, volatility, labor markets, 
input costs if you're a beet grower. I mean, there's just everything, right, Kevin? There's all kinds of increases in inflation we're dealing with. But you know what? If you have a plan, especially a risk management plan, you'll do a lot better. You'll be hedged. Right, Nicole? Just don't load up plastic bags with gasoline. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's not a risk management strategy. No, it isn't. It isn't. I've seen those videos. And uh, (laughs) to my uh, family out there in St. Louis, don't do that again. Actually, that Uh, was Georgia. Great state of Georgia. It was. It was. It absolutely was. Anyway, we're going to wrap this one up. But if you're interested in that webinar, I would suggest you listen to it. Our director of risk management, Sean Bingham, will be there. He knows what he's doing. He's been doing this a long time. So go ahead and register. But until next time, as I always like to say, live with an attitude or gratitude. Enjoy every minute moment with your friends and family. Don't take it for granted. Get ready for Gobble Gobble Day coming up pretty soon. And until (laughs) next time, take care, everybody. Bye now. See you guys. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favell's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.